0: Listen to the Bottom of Foodcast, and I am Adam Rappaport. All right, in case you missed it, we based our big Thanksgiving story in the November issue of the magazine on our hit video series called Making Perfect, where we challenge all of our food editors to create the perfect version of a particular food. The first season was on the perfect pizza, this time, the perfect Thanksgiving meal. You can read all about it and get the recipes in the magazine or online. You can watch the entire series on YouTube, or if you got a smart TV like Apple TV or Roku or whatever, you can watch it on there. Uh, And today, we're bringing it to you on the podcast. I chat with every editor or team of editors about the dish they were assigned, and we run through each of them in about 10-minute installments. Uh, We're talking turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, cranberry sauce, stuffing, sides, and pie, all of them perfect. Before we get started, I want to tell you about a cool promotion we've got going on. Uh, This holiday season, for the first time, Bon Appetit featured all of our Test Kitchen editors on not one, but eight magazine covers for the November issue. And to celebrate this one-of-a-kind feat, we partnered with eBay for Charity and No Kid Hungry to create a special custom box set of all eight magazines signed by each Test Kitchen chef. The issues fit into a -a one-of-a-kind, custom-designed slipcover. And to sweeten things even more, we're throwing in a homemade pie for your holiday celebration made with love by the Test Kitchen team. Uh, the best news, all proceeds will be donated to No Kid Hungry, one of our favorite charities. To bid, visit ebay.com slash bon appetit before November 24th. And now, here's your annual giant Thanksgiving foodcast episode. Andy Baraghani, looking at Instagram, Brad. Brad, you're focused, Brad, right? I'm,
1: I'm in the zone, man. I came here to I'm work. very much focused, too. I wrote this recipe. Uh,
0: Andy's over there playing with <laughs> Tinder or something. Yeah, I don't even know what was going on. All right, guys, <laughs> we have 10 minutes to discuss your expertly <sighs> spiced and glazed roast turkey. It starts now. Andy Bergani, the first thing I notice about this recipe is we're not cooking a whole turkey. We're cooking the turkey in parts. Yes,
1: so that is uh, to solve a problem that I think um, – a lot of people have dealt with while cooking a whole turkey, and that's where the dark meat and the white meat don't cook at the same time. So we broke it down so uh, the turkey can cook evenly, and you could have a really nice, juicy white meat while also having uh, perfectly cooked dark meat.
2: Right, because the leg meat, the dark meat, cooks at in order to get that nice tender, you know, shreddy texture, mm-hmm. you have to bring it, the, the breaking down, if you have to cook it to a higher temperature okay. than you would just like the, the straight breast, which you can, you know, a, a much lower temperature
3: until I think it's done.
1: Temperature-wise, we typically go 165, but you could go a little bit higher. We called 170 this year. And then with the breast, we take it to 150. So two different temperatures.
0: And so that all makes sense. The, the challenge,
2: though, is how do we get the turkey into parts? That's the easiest part. It's a giant chicken, so you can. <laughs> it's a giant. It is. Chicken. It's a, it's the same anatomy as a chicken for the most part. You know, if you can, if you're comfortable breaking down a chicken, it's almost easier. I'm not.
0: I'm not doing this.
2: Okay, well I, then, wherever you you can bring it into your favorite a good butcher shop or someone who maybe you know, or you have a friend that knows how to do it. Bring it in. I'll <laughs> do it for you. Or you know, I think if, even if you went to if you bought your turkey at a Whole Foods, if you yeah. went over to him and say, "Hey, listen, guys, can you?" Break it down to me into like the same way you would. Yeah, have so you chicken. got two
0: options. You can either go to a if 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 you happen to live near a butcher shop, whether traditional or one of those new school artisanal butcher shops, they'll do it for you. Perhaps the, the counter, if you had a good grocery store, they could very well do it. Or you could do it yourself.
2: Or we should make a video. I mean, Andy will break one down. We were and we'll put it on that. YouTube. Yeah. And then if you have any questions, you sh- you can just watch it. it.
0: Might not be the most appetizing video,
1: but. Educational. Yeah, it, it's true. It, in, right, so you, in this case, we broke it into uh, the crown the, uh, with uh, the two breasts attached, the uh, legs, drumstick, and thighs attached, and then the wings. The right. wings.
0: Then, so you got into parts for optimal cooking. Let's talk seasoning in terms of dry brine, wet brine, et cetera. Sure.
2: Well, we got, you know, we got on the phone with a food scientist, a, a lovely lady named Rosemary Trout. Yes, it's her Love real her. name. It's the best name in the world. And... Um, we got to talking a little bit about brines and rubs and what actually is going on. So all your seasonings, like all your big aromatics, you know, your peppercorns, your sugar, none of that is going to penetrate through the cell walls of the meat, except for salt. Salt will. Mm. So we not were, even sugar. Not even mm. sugar. It's a, it's, the molecules of salt are small enough to pass through the cell walls. Which look at you, science. What we learned from Rosemary is that applying the salt right onto it, letting it sit over. You know, we asked her. Do we do a wet brine or this, you know, the dry rub, dry brine yep. technique? And we just didn't see any benefits uh, across the board of a wet brine. It's harder to store, it's messy, yep. you're you know, when you take it out of the brine, then you need to air dry it because you don't want to go throw you know, a wet, soggy bird Ugh. in the oven. Mm-hmm. The wet brine kind
1: of prevents the bird from getting that kind of beautiful brown, deep golden, crisp skin. Yeah, it's really just more steps. and Brittle almost. Compared to a dry brine, which actually you kind of get a head start by kind of drying out the skin on the, uh, the exterior.
0: So what's in the dry rub? Do you remember, Andy?
1: Yes. We have a mixture of diamond cr- crystal kosher salt, uh, light brown sugar, uh, onion powder, uh, paprika, smoked paprika, black Pink peppercorns. peppercorns. Pink peppercorns. Oh Jesus! Uh, And I believe we are miss and garlic powder. And you look, he he reeled it off without looking, by the way.
0: And just one, just one note in terms. I know we always make this point, but in recipes, the amount of salt called for recipe depends on the type of salt you're using. Correct? Yes.
1: So typically. If you're using uh, Morton's, you would almost use like half the amount. In this, Iodized or Morton's kosher, kosher? Mo- kosher? Morton's kosher. Okay. So in this case, we call for half a cup diamond crystal or a quarter cup plus one and a half teaspoons Morton. Yeah, it's a crystal okay. size difference. Awesome.
0: That's good to know. Okay, so so you got the rub on overnight in the fridge. What else I think is really interesting, we're not doing like a big traditional roasting pan. Right. You guys are doing it on a sheet tray with a like a cookie cooling rack yep. set in into the sheet Mm -hmm. tray. So Mm -hmm. I
1: learned this trick from one of our favorite food stylists, Susie Theodoro. She gave me this tip last year, I did it with my turkey last year, where when you do a kind of high-walled roasting pan, you're preventing part of the legs specifically to get browned properly. Mm. So that's why she uses a wire rack set in a rim baking sheet so that it's fully exposed. Sitting in something deep,
2: same like if you tried to sear something, you're trapping steam a little bit. It seems yeah. silly because it's not that even if it was just four inches, but you're exposing things to steam. Okay, more so, this, so not only
0: is it getting that heat pen beneath the chicken parts chicken giant chicken turkey parts because it's on a wire rack but it's also the the, there's no sides to the sheet tray so it's not getting caught
1: in there exactly
0: okay so in parts dry rub really seasoned rack sheet tray do we do the thing where we turn up the oven, then we turn it down, or vice versa? Or yeah, yeah
1: we turned it up. We started uh, at 425 just so it could get some uh, nice color in the beginning. Uh, not too long. Uh, we went for about like I think 30 minutes yeah, total. But it does
2: pick up some browning, so we yes. jumpstart that. We get a nice color coat on it, and then we drop the temperature to what was it? Three? Three hundred and finish it there a little lower slower because that, that
0: all depends on how big of a bird you have will dictate the total cooking time correct? yeah of but course.
1: ideally we call for a 12 to 14 pound bird if you go a bigger than that you will it'll probably be a little difficult to fit all the parts on one sheet tray so if you go yeah. a, more than let's say 14 15 pounds you might right have to, to use yeah. two.
2: And then I don't know if we – we certainly touched on it on the video. I don't know if it made it into the, the written text of the recipe. But same way with, with a steak. You know how you, you pull your meat out and you let it sit at room temper. Mm-hmm. And out, you, you want to temper it. You want to bring your bird up to temper.
0: Okay. So, the so take it out of the fridge. Let it sit on the counter for an hour. At least. At least. We, at I least. think we
1: did it for two hours. Okay.
0: Yeah, two to three hours is a sweet spot. Question. You mentioned you want the breasts at 150, the dark meat at 170. Does that mean they finish at different times cooking?
1: So we've tested I don't even know how many times we tested this
2: recipe. It was kind of a miracle. We were concerned that, like, all right, is everything – because we don't want to pull things out at different times. That's mm-hmm. kind of annoying. But the way it cooked, broken down in pieces, the breast got to where it needed and the leg got to where it needed at kind of the same time. Wow. Because the breast
0: is larger, perhaps. Yeah. And and so then when they're done at about the same time, how long do you remember for a 12- to 14-pound bird total? Cooking time uh, for, uh, for a whole bird? Yeah, this no, in this way when you broke it down for this recipe.
1: This way we started for I think it went 425 for 30 minutes and then it took an uh, another 50. 50 to 70 minutes. Okay,
0: so but it's shorter than doing a whole bird. Yes, on its own. So when it's finally done, describe to me what the white meat is like, sort of texture-wise compared to what the dark meat is.
2: Sorry, yes, I'll an- we will answer that question, but also. <laughs> Same as, like, when before you put it in the oven, you don't want to go take your bird right out of the hot oven and start ca- and carving no. it. No. You want to let that rest and hang out for the same. An hour, too. You go wait in an hour, you get inside that, that breast meat, it's still going to be ripping hot. And
1: you don't want to be tenting it. I feel like in years yeah. past... I why tent? I, I think You're steaming just, off your crust. Yes, yeah. I don't know. It's something that we haven't called for for a while, but it was definitely something... That people did with their turkeys, and then you have the soggy skin. Yeah. It's amazing it. how many
0: food trends are actually just wrong. <laughs> and we won't stop there, I guess. Okay, so yeah, so talk yeah, about the, the what what you liked so much about the finished product.
2: Well, not to go you know tooting our own horn, but everyone that tried the breast said it was <laughs> some of the best turkey they ever had. It was perfectly seasoned, and like that's where we, and juicy. It was just like exploding with yeah. with moisture, which is fantastic. When, and
0: it, part of that is letting it rest and letting that juice recede yep, back into 100%. the hundred yeah. percent.
2: And you know if you just just rub some salt on it, let it hang out for an hour, and then roast it. The outside, just like when my my mom makes turkey, okay. uh, the outside is salty and flavorful yeah. and nice, but inside is just kind of uh, bland turkey. Mm, yeah. When you back to rosemary trout and the food and food scientist information, getting that salt to penetrate all the way down to the bone is just going to make every bite like perfectly seasoned. And okay. it just makes her a, a way better end product. And
0: then talking about the dark meat, because a lot of times when I've had whole roasted turkey. The dark meat can be kind of stringy or undercooked or just so like not satisfying.
1: I kind of wanted a, a, where the white meat is like really nice and you could slice it and it's juicy and moist. With the dark meat, I wanted it to be almost like Shuck. shreddable, mm-hmm. like yeah. where yes. you don't even need a knife. You could just – with a fork, you could just pull down on the drumstick yep. and the meat would just uh, tear away from the bone. Because when and you get all what, those – So what happened? That's exactly oh. what happened.
2: <laughs> almost like, confit style. Exactly. Because you got all that connective tissue, all those little lig- ligaments and stuff. And if it's a little not quite – Fall apart. Not you know, I mean I don't want to touch it and it falls yeah. apart. But if you can't like shred it with a fork, it's just not the texture isn't the same, but it's just the whole eating experience isn't quite as nice either. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to fight that stuff.
1: I will you, say flavor wise, like we definitely went with this kind of almost accidental like barbecue spiced rub situation. And then with the glaze, which we didn't talk about, it was just really herbaceous with different kind of hearty herbs, a little bit of sherry, orange. A shellac. A shellac. Oh, we're oh out of time. Build the show. Oh, I guess we're out of time. Oh, yet, We could have
2: kept going. I, I was, know, we could have. I was just
0: getting... Well, you know what? The <sighs> reader, the listener, they can find this recipe on Bonapetite.com or pick up the November issue of Bon Appetit and look for Andy and Brad's expertly spiced and glazed roast turkey.
1: It's a good looking bird.
0: Great looking One of the best. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Carla, you've been at Bon Appetit for eight years now? Yeah.
4: Eight and a few.
0: You've made a lot of mashed potatoes.
4: I have. I love making mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes is like my dish that I bring to Thanksgiving.
5: That's the irony of this is that like I didn't realize this till after we shot Making Perfect, but you love mashed potatoes. Meanwhile, we spent so much time trying to convince people that there should be crispy potatoes on the table.
4: Yeah, just because I love mashed potatoes, I still did take umbrage with the fact that like you have to do anything in my like contrarian nature I was like like don't tell me just because I like mashed potatoes doesn't mean like I have to do it and also we have a lot of mashed potato recipes so I think you and I in our quest to do something new and exciting we were like mashed potatoes is not new and exciting something new and exciting is new and exciting
0: if I may chime in as the editor in chief, sure. you would pitch like, why can't we do crispy roast potatoes? Um, it was a swift no. And that was the end of the discussion. We're putting mashed potatoes in the Thanksgiving issue.
5: Actually, there was a lot of discussion after you said that.
0: <laughs> Well, you can talk. It was still going to be no. But it, it was right.
5: more like, could we just say we're making mashed potatoes and we could label the yes. <laughs> episode making mashed potatoes. But then at the end, we could just take a quick turn and no one would notice.
0: Okay. So you did make mashed potatoes. Getting all fired uh, up one thing I think a lot of us always wonder, what kind of potato are we supposed to use?
5: Great question. That was a big part of our journey. Right. So we had a potato expert come in and consult with us, Rick Bishop, and we did a very scientific tasting of 10 different kinds of potatoes, cooked each of them three different ways. So we steamed, we boiled, and we baked every single kind, and then took a taste of all of the varieties and narrowed it down to our top three and then took those down and we landed on the German butterball.
0: A great branding. B, I was in the test kitchen that day mm. and seeing all these sliced open potato halves and then just walking up and taking one and put a little swab of butter yeah. and some mold and mm. sea salt and on best. it. Oh yeah. my god, so, so good. good.
4: What a treat. I think and I think it's we need to say like we didn't try all the potatoes because there are literally thousands yeah. of varieties of potatoes and then we learned all about like how regional and special the growing of potatoes is, but kind of the 10 on a scale from,
5: from starchy to waxy. So
0: what did you like in particular about the butterball? Why should we use it oh, this year?
5: What didn't we like? Well, for starters, just visually speaking, not only is it called butterball, but it looks buttery, like it, it has this beautiful a beautiful golden hue mm-hmm. that a lot of the others didn't, but also it had a really beautiful flavor that some of the others didn't and it was really easy to work with yeah a lot of the other ones got like very starchy and gluey Mm. and didn't move through the food mill or the ricer smoothly and we found these to be just a yeah they had like a silken texture to them where some of the others were like a little bit bitty
4: or Mm. starchy or fibrous and it it just like falls apart on you
0: okay because looking at the photo kind of the size of a baseball or so
5: it's the size of a Yukon Gold.
0: Yeah, so that it it sounds like you're describing a Yukon Gold, but what's the major difference between this and a Yukon Gold?
4: Really interesting. I mean, we call for Yukon Golds all the time because they're very easy to find and they are a waxy-style potato, so they work well for mashed potatoes, but when we had them side by side, we realized like how superior a German Butterball really mm. is and that we gave, we we knew that not everybody has a Rick Bishop in Union Square. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he was he's confident these are grown like all over the country. That said, we knew a lot of people are going to do their shopping at the supermarket. We have a Yukon Gold sub. But then when we tried to treat it the same way, they didn't cook the same.
0: Okay, let's talk so you love the combination of flavor, texture, yeah. everything. You, this next step, which is something I've never done. I like you, Carla. I love mashed potatoes. They're just my happy place, and it just feel they just feel right. You say roast your potatoes before mashing.
5: So this was part of our side by side taste test was determining what the best best method for cooking them was, and it turned out that baking the potato, for whatever reason, instead of waterlogging mm. them, concentrated the flavors and the sugars in the potato. My art reaction, as you like to point out <laughs> often. <laughs> And it's very hands-off, so you, there, there's a lot of other things you can be doing in the kitchen while yeah. you just throw a sheet of potatoes in the oven and let them bake. Yeah. You don't need to cut them up
4: first. You don't need to get your biggest pot out. You don't need to like bring that giant pot of water to a boil, yeah. which is like... And then and we baking, also... were are
0: baking skin on. You're baking
4: yeah. skin just on in the on jackets. The and then we also were able to control the amount of salt
6: mm-hmm.
4: because we added it to the the liquid, the the butter and the milk mixture. So we salted that rather than like salting the water of the potato and having to. Like, we're never going to tell yeah. people to use a measured amount of water no. to boil potatoes. So my, it was what, a surprise to us, though. I I had never made mashed potatoes never baked potato. No,
0: but well, I think I think a lot of us piping hot potatoes come out. How do I get the skins off
5: quickly? you take a kitchen towel in your hand and cradle the potato with the kitchen towel and you just burn your little fingies yeah. till they're all off. And we, I'm sorry, there's no other way to it's, do it. It's
0: amazing when you go to a professional kitchen and you see chefs like that they will just grab things that you would never even think of grabbing with their bare hands.
4: It was funny for us because we were like, literally, this is hot potato yeah like <laughs> we're doing hot potato with a hot potato yeah and also there's two of us so the whole development which was captured while we were shooting the video i was like well it goes really fast when there's like two two right, people dedicated hands. to peeling these potatoes yeah grab a friend you're coming over on thanksgiving day right i'm gonna be in paris but oh okay. wow <laughs> sorry
0: you'll be having pomme puree so all right so you, you get the get them off this is probably not a, not, a, not a task for your little kids then you've got butter, hot milk.
5: Well,
4: you, you bring it up to a simmer with the butter and yeah. the milk together, yeah.
0: Okay. I always wonder there are people who like a old fashioned potato masher. There are some people who like the ricer, which is like a one of those play doh sort of machines that extrudes it, and then there is the food mill, which is like the hand cranked.
4: Guess which one I am? I don't know. Oh, honestly. Gosh.
5: She, I'm gonna let you feel this one because you feel very. Okay, so no, because I feel
0: like I feel like part of you is like you're a seasoned home cook. Part of you is that you used to work with Rocco DiSpirito uh-huh. and you was at Union Pacific. Yeah, yeah. So you, and did you work at Monroche? Yeah. Oh my God, you're going way back. Um, so you have very classic restaurant training. So I don't, I don't
4: know. I love a food mill and I ah, okay. specifically love my food mill. However, we made sure that you could mash, you could rice, or you could food mill as part of development and they all they all work. It just is like and we talk about it in the magazine, like on I think our head note was like on the continuum from, you know, deliciously mashed to like unbearably silky, you've got mashing with a masher. Ricing ricer. with a ricer and then putting them through a food mill—it's all good.
0: And honestly, that's that's it's always gonna. People are always gonna have their own particular opinion about which one they like, and that's great. And which one do they what have, you like? Yeah. And Which
4: one you have? Like, I have a little tiny hands, so the ricer is
5: really hard for me. I like the ricer; it's such—it's one swift movement, it's, right? It's gratifying. Yeah, it really is.
0: Okay, and then the coup de gras, which this blew my mind, dropping into the test kitchen when you guys were doing this. Wow. Just in terms of snackability, mm-hmm, um, yeah. the crispity crunchities. Talk to me.
4: We kinda got our cake and we got to eat it too with the crispy crunchies. Yeah, this was a solution. Crisp,
0: crispity crunchities.
4: True. Crispity crunchities. yes. Yeah, that official went in the magazine. <laughs> no
0: idea how people were like, how did it there were editors who were angry, they were like Really? We're putting this in the magazine, I'm like, yeah. I you should have seen know. the, the seen notes we it. got
4: from the copy department. They oh were like, God. so it's not a word. So how <laughs> yeah. would you like to spell it? We were like, we had like <laughs> screenshots tea, of like the Butterfinger package
5: because that has crunchity It's
0: it. Like let me DM doll and ask him how he's <laughs> how to spell it. Um, so to talk to us about these Crispy Crunchities.
5: Um, they basically were our solution to the issue of like not wanting just something creamy. On the table, when a Thanksgiving plate is inherently like very texturally one note, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the stuffing, the gravy, the yada yada. So, we felt like this was our moment to bring some texture, and we talk about and think about texture all the time as we develop recipes. And there's no reason that we couldn't bring some texture to mashed potatoes while maintaining mashed potatoes. So, this is a mixture of blitzed up breadcrumbs, and potato chips, Cape Cod potato chips. You need a sturdy, like, kettle, like a kettle cooked. Yeah. Gotcha. Like a, a wispy Lay's would not give you the mm. It would totally off. break yeah. apart. Um, and they get sauteed in a little bit of butter with, you're not gonna like this, smoked paprika, thyme, Ooh. garlic, and lemons. Now what you like it? Now I like sm- it. We, oh. We've had a whole smoked paprika Oh, really? Design oh, design design. I literally right. cannot <laughs> with this. Um, <laughs> Anyway, and then they get finished in the oven until they're supremely crunchy, golden brown, very fragrant, and they get finished with a little bit of parsley and that yeah. gets scattered over. So you get this experience of like mm. the very luxurious
4: pomme puree, which is not too stiff and it's not soup. It is somewhere beautifully in between, <laughs> and it is topped with this like very crunchy kind of almost shatteringly so, a little bit spicy, lemony, garlicky topping. And then when you put the gravy over it, then you get the crispy, gone soggy. Uh, it's just a mm. really great situation. I,
0: I do love the addition of fresh parsley into the crispy crunchities. Mm-hmm. It, gives, it gives that little bright hit of freshness.
4: God, we also engineered go. this to be 100% make-ahead. So you could make the the mashed potatoes, you could make the crispy crunchities, you could make them on Monday or Tuesday.
0: You just can't let... People will snack on the crispy crunch. You have so you, to lock you ta- them up. You got to lock or them up. Or you make a double batch.
4: Yeah. Oh, double oh, batch. I mean, I think they're great on a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. And in people are salad. making them right now. Yeah. I've I'm been getting, getting tagged te- all the time. A lot of people are testing out their recipes for Thanksgiving. I'm always
0: amazed that people do that. Yeah, that's, that's so insane. cool. I'm
4: really impressed by people. A lot of people. People are making the turkeys and stuff. They're like, I'm practicing for Thanksgiving. Like, wow. I, like, I love that. A few that. weeks in advance. I Amazing. also think these are a great, entertaining, like if you make mashed potatoes for a delicious, you know... Christmas could also be a thing or with like a beautiful you know roast beef and the mashed potatoes with that topping you're in biz
0: makes them very presentable okay so god I want these uh (laughs) Adam's really hungry you mentioned gravy let's hit gravy before we go I do think gravy is one of those things that intimidates the Thanksgiving host especially if it's their first time and when to make it and how to make it and last minute and you just say the word drippings and people are like
4: yeah We also wanted gravy to be 100% make ahead, so we don't rely on the drippings. And we also decided not to rely on a roux to make it even simpler because we wanted roasted bones and a great stock. And then to also have to make a roux is like introducing yet another Mm -hmm. cooking process. We joke in the video that this is the Brexit gravy because it's got both sherry and... What is the other element? No, Worcestershire, that's
5: not this one. Yeah, it is. No. Yeah, Worcestershire and- No, Worcestershire- And Sherry is Brexit. It's England. Worcestershire (laughs) is cut from our recipe.
6: What? What? Oh my god.
5: Oh No. no, really? Wasn't that the other one? That was soy Worcestershire and soy. No, maybe. Oh, yeah, you're right. Nothing. Okay, like, so nothing
0: like, never mind. Like we'll a, start over. No, right here. let's just keep it going. Nothing like a Brexit joke at a Thanksgiving uh, wow. gravy okay. rice. All right. So, so you, so you, so you say <laughs> anyway. Instead of so a roux, We didn't
4: roux, rely on a roux. We relied on a beurre manier.
0: So, which is what? Explain that technique.
4: Another French thing. So it's basically raw flour and softened um, butter that you smash together. And it's it's a thickener. So once the gravy is like simmering and in a good place, you whisk that in, and um, it just gives the gravy like a little bit a little bit more body. It gives it sheen. It gives it a little depth. But it's really there
5: as a thickening agent. Yeah, it's yeah. like a it's just an alternative roux. Right.
0: You also call for I love ginger. You got ginger in there. Mm-hmm. You have some sh- crimini or stocky mushrooms to give some umami ness. And then you've got a little sherry, all these things, some roasted bones that give it depth. Then mm-hmm. uh, you got your turkey stock or low-sodium chicken broth. There's umami in
4: a lot of places.
0: Yeah, and then <laughs> you hit it with the final ingredient, which we talked about in our feed bag segment a couple of weeks ago, MSG.
4: Yeah, simply put, MSG makes things delicious. Yeah, and that's really all there is to say about it. I think there's a lot of things in this gravy that give it depth, like roasting the bones is added umami. The mushrooms, definitely the stock itself
5: um, is an umami enhancer. But do you remember in our episode, we were tasting the gravy like just out of the pan and it was before we had hit it with any sherry or MSG and we were like, this is pretty good. And then I think I went in and dumped like a lot of MSG in it and we were like, wow and why is this so good
4: and that's why it's called why is it so good gravy msg makes things taste good i don't know another way to say it it's a great thing unless you don't like it
5: and we call for <laughs> it's
0: a it's a flavor activator and you only call for one teaspoon it's not a lot it's just a for little something that's right. an
5: eighth of a teaspoon per person
0: that wakens up the gravy and it's amazing and you can find it in the november issue of bon appétit along with your mashed potatoes with crispity crunchities
1: thanks guys
5: thank you bye
1: what what it, what's wrong with the cranberry i love the cranberry i'm very happy with the way it turned it's exactly how well, i think we imagined it
2: well we being a very strong way to describe it but all right here we go well because i just you lost me with gelatin Okay, like there's no gelatin in cranberry sauce. Are we making Jello or are we making cranberry sauce? We kind of made Jello, you know. I just, I broke, you know. Like you pick your battles. Am I gonna beat my head against the wall fighting Andy? You know, we just. Do like you I,
1: remember how yours turned out with the pectin? Well, we uh, yeah, delicious. But wait, what's
0: the issue? Because Brad apparently it says here in the magazine, Lies. Brad stands. That's a term the youngsters use. Canned sauce. He grew up with the stuff. He can't right. help it. There was something in that. Can that had a little grit to it? He says, yep. and, and it's not like transparent Jello. It's murky and purple and beautiful.
2: And I agree with that hundred percent. But 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 well, you guys made this beautiful,
0: bejeweled, sort of gelatinous mold that I I just love looking at. So what's what's
2: wrong it. with what you made? Well, Thank uh, you so much, Adam. It, it, that's just it. It's nice to look at.
1: It's so delicious too.
2: It's just, it's a textural thing. It's like Andy. He's nice to look at, but. (laughs) Oh, no. He's he's a beautiful human being. But, like, you know, listen, it's fine. All jokes aside, it it is a delicious sauce, but it's just, it doesn't have what I love about canned, like ocean spray cranberry sauce in a can that. that, Okay.
3: Then go buy a canned
0: sauce. This is something different. Let's just, can you explain what it is? Because I've never had a molded cranberry sauce. I've always had my mom will make one of the BA recipes from the two thousands and chutney sort of yeah. thing and chop it up and so break okay. it down for me. Andy. So
1: in our defense, we really didn't have a, a lot of time to develop this recipe, but I'm I'm still happy where where we got. Uh, a lot of our focus was, was on the turkey. In this case, Brad and I both love the kind of canned cranberry sauce, so we were just trying to come up with let's say a more improved, beautiful to look at version of that. Of a molded cranberry sauce. Exactly. So it's not like we wanted to put um, cranberry, make a cranberry sauce and put it in a can and try to use that as a mold. We We tried using a glass pie dish that didn't look really well, so we went with a mold in regard to aesthetics. Right, and okay. I think it worked out. So
0: then, how do you? So walk me through it, because how do you get the the gelatinous sort of substance versus the bits of fruit in there? Like, what what what's the actual recipe? So it's
1: really just making. Your I use gelatin. Mm-hmm. We did two tests, one with pectin, one with gelatin. It seemed like the gelatin version worked a little bit better.
2: No, it, it held the form easier. That's true. It didn't taste better. And I think, and like when you go get a canned cranberry sauce, there isn't gelatin in it. That's it's, true. It's a natural pectin. They don't even add pectin. He we were make... gonna add some, and everyone loved the flavor of it. We just, it's all really begs fault. Um, she got into his head about making like a bump pan and with gelatin, and you know, like it's it's a delicious sauce, but it's just it's to me we. Um, I just I you know I broke you know they, they Andy broke me and I, I gave up
1: the fight and you, then we just combined forces
2: to make a really good gelled
1: cranberry. It's a very streamlined recipe. Really, what you're doing is dissolving gelatin into water, and then you're just making cranberry sauce which what we did here was combining cranberries uh, some bay leaves crushed cardamom lightly spiced well, some sugar. sugar and then we used water and i think what else did we use some kind of oh uh, we used unsweetened cranberry juice or water okay so the and the that cranberry the juice
0: help mm-hmm. give the the liquid which then turns into like the gelatin like exactly. jello so, structure so we cooked
1: it down slightly and then we mixed it with the gelatin and then poured into the uh, bun pan or or a a mold, and then we let it set for about 12 hours. Question, so we're just using like a basic bag of frozen cranberries? Yeah, fresh or frozen. Okay. We used frozen.
0: Okay, that's fine. And then, so you're just cooking it down, you let it cool before you put it in, or does it not even matter? I think we let it it cool slightly. Slightly, but not chilled. In terms of flavor profile, what are you looking for in terms of sweet versus tart? Balance, uh, right?
1: You want balance. Balance. I think uh, the early versions, like especially the early versions that I did, there was too much going on. There was too much spices, too much heat, too many aromatics. Imagine and then tasted, that. It was like a hot toddy. Remember? I remember <laughs> yeah. it was like, it was very
2: spicy, warm potpourri. And then we toned it down. We dialed back. And then we had, it was this great idea we had where oh, we put God. sumac in it. You know, um, it's like yeah. by nature. It's perfect. Yeah, it's tart. It's tart. It goes perfectly with it. Um, you know, everyone loved it. And then I was out for a day and I came back and it was gone and then
1: i saved brad leone's job because i knew (laughs) adam would hate that idea of putting sumac and cranberry sauce and prevent a lot of our readers from actually making it the fewer ingredients the better (laughs) then in terms of
0: you guys also talked about the texture of the sauce and the notion of you wanted it clear and gelatinous, but you also wanted some cranberries in there. And what, what was their debate about how chunky or not yeah. chunky it should be?
2: I just let Andy do this one because I, <laughs> Gosh, I hated the, 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 the gelatin gel. That, I think that was the opposite of the texture I wanted to achieve. I feel like I'm in couples therapy right now, and I'm the Kinda. therapist. I should be charging you we guys. We never like, had a chance to really talk. I never had a chance to express myself and how I really <laughs> felt about this. So that's what I'm doing now
1: so now who now you know who runs this relationship <laughs> oh my god
2: make sure
0: you mail me the check um Andy, since you won, what are your thoughts? What what texture? I
1: wanted, actually, cranberries in the in the jelly. Suspended. Yes, I wanted it suspended. I thought it would look great. I think people wanted to bite into cranberries. I don't think people wanted to kind of strain or mill their cranberry sauce. I just felt a little fussy. Because we,
2: um, we were. We were doing cranberries. That. And it was nice, but it was a bit—we landed somewhere in the middle. Like, let's crush them. Let's get, like, not just whole ones in there, but, mm-hmm. like, a, a pulpy throughout. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I would describe this as, like— a really tasty, lightly spiced cranberry sauce that the flavor-wise a lot of people are familiar with, but you go kind of one step extra by kind of putting in a mold and letting it sit.
0: One thing I think a lot of us home cooks are always nervous about is that moment when we turn the mold over. Yeah, we were too. We were terrified.
2: A little bit, you dip it in a little bit of like warm water. Exactly. And just mm-hmm. kind of loosen up the inside edges. And then it just kind of, it did drop out rather easily.
1: 10, 15 seconds. You don't want to go longer. Right, in the in the warm water, yeah.
2: Okay, and just loosen it. And just you start to up, melt the put gelatin. The, put the plate on top and, and then flip
6: invert. it.
0: Yeah, looks great. One last thing, I love. This is just at least photographically speaking, and that counts for a lot when you're in a magazine. But those those like sugared cranberries yeah. and, and, the and, and the orange and the yeah. orange rinds, yeah, orange rind, orange strips, whatever, atop.
1: That mm. was kind of last a minute. On, uh, so last we played minute around. It was uh, initially I was doing kind of just like orange sugar of just microplaning orange zest and then mixing that with sugar. But uh, it was like this. It needed some orange though. sugar dust. And then I was like, no, you want strips. And then you wanted like whole cranberries dusted it's in candied sugar. Candied cranberries. So we played around a little bit. Then
0: you have to wet the cranberries or something to get the sugar exactly. to it. Here, yeah. And so then you just place those atop. At you have the strips. You have this glistening mold, which I think is beautiful. Brad. It is
2: beautiful. It is very nice to look at.
0: And with that, your <laughs> time is up, gentlemen. Andy Baragani, Brad Leone, thanks for coming. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I'm we'll sure. we will send this, you a check next week. This will be my last one, I'm sure. <laughs> Christina Che, are you ready to talk Thanksgiving sides?
7: I'm so ready. I brought the copy with my own face on it.
0: I brought the copy with your own face on it, too. Oh. <laughs> You can get them meanwhile on sale now on the newsstands, folks. The Bon Appetit Thanksgiving issue. Do you uh,
7: know how white my teeth are? Not in real life. Like if I look at my teeth on here, I'm just like, wow.
0: I was literally just texting someone. Now there was that big piece on Condé Nast in New York Magazine this week, and there's a caricature of me along with the other editors. And people are like, oh, my God, did you like your caricature? I'm like, I wish my teeth were that white in real life. Like, my <laughs> teeth look so amazing in this caricature. Like, I
7: thought you would appreciate that your caricature was the only one that was clearly on Instagram.
0: I was using a phone. In this modern age. Yeah. Okay, we have two dishes that you and Claire Savitz developed for our big Thanksgiving Making Perfect video series slash magazine article. Which one do you want to talk about first?
7: I want to talk about the salad. Is Wh- it a salad? It's definitely a salad. Okay. Okay. So I guess to t- to explain the salad, I feel like I have to explain the philosophy that we took for both of our side dishes, which was that they had to meet two different criteria. One is that they needed to be different enough because since they're both sides, they need to earn their spot at the table. Oh, be-
0: no- because like, you know, there's gonna be turkey, you know, there's gonna be mashed potatoes, no you know, there's gonna be, be No
7: one's gonna be mad about like a just okay gravy yeah. or... Turkey or whatever, but I think for for a side to truly belong on the table, it needs to bring another element, something special, something like texturally different, or you know, flavor wise, like a bit more complex and interesting than you would normally find. I like that, table. yeah,
0: because you're like you could choose a million different sides. Why do you why, why this one?
7: But then they're called sides for a reason. You don't want them to steal the show, and you don't want them to monopolize your prep day. So. We designed these sides to be um, mostly done in advance so that like come Thanksgiving, you're not really freaking out because you need all this space or time to prepare a salad, which is just, you know, it's not the point.
0: Because you're already freaking out about something else.
7: Yeah, so salad. I actually really, I'm looking at this photo closely for the first time right now. It looks really good.
0: It's called a squash and radicchio salad with pecans. With pecans. This is a-
7: I say pecans.
0: (sighs) Yeah hearty salad, big salad. Like how would you, so let's tell us what's in it. How did it come come to be? Yeah,
7: I'm looking at this photo right now. I realize it's kind of hard to tell how large it actually is. It's enormous. I think we ended up doing it for oh yeah, 8 to 10. So, it has a couple of elements that are all important for a salad that you want to make ahead. Number one, we chose a really sturdy chicory. So we we chose radicchio, which is just a really great lettuce for uh, making a salad in advance because it, it just is the lettuce that refuses to wilt. It's I... really sturdy. You can dress it. You can have the salad fully dressed and on the table an hour before you eat, and it will still be perfect. Seriously?
0: hmm Oh, wow. Did not know that. I also love radicchio because it's just beautiful looking, the color.
7: It's totally beautiful. I can see – I mean, I think in the recipe we call for – radicchio but I can see in the photo you also have some castelfranco which is those pale green ones that are speckled with purple.
0: Those are those are like designer ones. Yeah. Really yeah, yeah. But you have a mix so have a mix of sort of uh, bitterish hearty lettuces.
7: Oh yes and the fact that they're bitter is nice too because that's not a flavor that you're really going to find anywhere yeah. else.
0: But then what you and Claire did so nicely is that you did really I think dynamic job balancing that bitterness with sweet-ish elements, but not going too sweet.
7: Right. So this salad has all the major components. It has something bitter. It has something sweet, both in the roasted squash, cutest squash of all time, the 898.
0: We're getting to that.
7: Sweet Asian pear, which also provides like a fresh element.
0: Can I ask you, so So uh, pears always somewhat elude me in terms of like, what can I use any type of pear or you said Asian pear is that interchangeable
7: it's a good question I I would say if you can find an Asian pear it's nice because it's texturally so different from a normal from a Bartlett or a Bosque or an Andrew pear it's crunchy yeah it brings this other element that that,
0: crispness to the salad
7: yeah whereas a normal pear is just kind of soft and mushy it would still be delicious, flavor-wise, but I would encourage you to... All right, so Asian pear
0: Asian for pear. texture. You also have the nuts in there.
7: Oh, yes. I'm still thinking about the episode on nuts, which I enjoyed so much. Oh, the podcast yes. episode
0: with Sarah Jean-Pel the other week. Yes, her <laughs> first time right?
7: So good. And I don't remember if she touched on this, but... One other really great way to use nuts, in addition to toasting them and sprinkling them on stuff like this salad, is to blend them into things like salad dressings. It boosts the fat factor, yeah. it also adds this extra dimension of nuttiness, and it's it, it, it's really delicious. Yeah,
0: because like the, the, the pears are crisp, but the nuttiness is nutty, I, you know what I mean? But it, And I do also like with salads, and I think Sarah and I talked about this. You know, if you don't have something like avocado in the salad, it's nice to have some nuts to, lend, to bring a, a fat element in there that is not in the form of like bacon or something.
7: Right. And in the original version of this salad, we made a pretty standard vinaigrette, which had some citrus juice and mustard and extra virgin olive oil, a little maple. And there was something that was just... Like not quite there in terms of the richness factor. Mm-hmm. And that's where we got the idea to blend some pecans into the dressing.
0: So you got pecans, you got a sweetish dressing Pecams. with maple syrup. You have the crisp pear. You also have what I love a bit of chiave cheese. Or I'm just gonna go out and buy Parmesan. But that saltiness, that sharpness to the to the salad. But what you touched on, which I think the is it fair to say that the star of the salad is the squash?
7: I would say so. I mean, what we originally wanted to do that you told us later we couldn't do was roast the squash in halves and then arrange them, kind of tuck them into the lettuce leaves on the platter so that each person could have, you know, maybe a half a squash or... It was just visually so beautiful and then you said no.
0: It's like, this is a side dish. and. First of all, they, they were literally each person getting half a squash on their plate. So you already have six other things on your plate. Okay, but the whole squash fit. is
7: legitimately the size of your palm.
0: But still, that's really big. That's not a salad. That's like a squash with greens. So I was just saying, like, can we just minimize the size of the squash so it is more of a salad?
7: Well, so, I think the squash breeders are working on that as we speak. Okay, let's talk about... Next Thanksgiving. Okay,
0: per, you, but you used a particular type of squash. Can you talk about that for us, please?
7: Yes, so... You might be familiar with the Honey Nut, which my dad just bought from Trader Joe's for the first time the other Mm. weekend. He was very excited about them. So the Honey Nut, you can think about as like a a mini butternut. Okay. But a a more highly concentrated version of a butternut. The 898 is sort of the next-gen Honey Nut. It's even smaller and even more concentrated in its flavor, and it was bred by this guy who is like part- Vegetable breeder, part mad scientist type. I I love this guy. His name is Michael Mazurik. And he works very closely with Dan Barber of Blue Hill Stone Barns to create these new breeds of vegetables that are specifically bred to have certain qualities. Like, for example, the main difference between the 898 and the honey nut is that the 898 is a little bit sweeter, but also it can last, like, you can store it for much longer than a honey nut which has a really thin skin that apparently makes it susceptible to going bad in cold storage hmm. over the winter. So they wanted something that was just as delicious as the honey nut, but that could kind of last through that storage
0: But do we period. roast this one skin on still?
7: Skin on still. So, and this, so
0: it's not it's not that much thicker that you can't eat the skin.
7: Yeah, it doesn't make it unpleasantly yeah. thick to eat. you can't You can't really notice it, I think, as you're eating it. What do
0: you think of the name?
7: Yeah, I think the name's like a little a little confusing. I've just been I've just been subbing in random area codes as I've <laughs> right. referred to this squash because sometimes I just can't remember the name. Um, the two o one, the six four six.
0: Okay, so we get all this together. You have the roasted squash, the nuts, the cheese, the pear, the bitter lettuces. Little sprinkling of uh, parsley afterwards, and you think you and you can dress this a little bit ahead of time, and the flavors just kind of meld together and become one.
7: Yeah, I would say if you're gonna do it ahead, you can dress the radicchio certainly, and then you can plate it and the squash. I would say wait until just before serving to toss to slice and toss the pears in lemon juice because otherwise they'll go brown. Exactly. And um, maybe your parsley too, so that it won't wilt. Yeah, yeah. But everything Uh, else is really sturdy
0: so yeah i would just say this i love this salad. i know i had issues with the sizing of the of the squash but i did i love the symphony of flavors that is the squash and radicchio salad with pecans i don't
7: think you've ever told me that to my face
0: (laughs) okay but you have two sides you and claire developed what's the other one
7: the other one is uh it's really good but the road to getting there was really convoluted which you might expect from the pairing of me and claire yes so, they're both very particular. Yes, so these are roasted brussels sprouts glazed in a brown butter and date molasses mixture and then topped with crunchy pistachios and lime.
0: Love the sound of that. I also feel like I feel like brussels sprouts has kind of become this modern standard post Dave Chang, you know, bro- roasted brussels sprouts with bacon-y thing of choice and whatnot, and the fish, fish sauce. Yeah, sprouts. that one. That And it's kind of like ushered in a whole era of every restaurant has Brussels sprouts on the menu, and they're really good. Yeah. And like people, kids used to hate them, now everyone loves them. So how did you do this one, and how is this different or similar to a lot of the other new Brussels sprout incarnations
7: out there? So, in my opinion, the reason why those Momofuku Brussels sprouts are so good is because they're deep fried. And I, <laughs>
6: yeah,
7: <laughs> and you know, it's just, it's a, it's a truth the best Brussels sprouts are deep fried. Just no way around it. However, uh, we would never ask someone to deep fry a side dish on Thanksgiving. So we were going for basically the best possible oven roasted method. And we found two things. We tested this a few different ways for the show. One thing we found was that keeping the Brussels sprouts whole made a huge difference in terms of the the texture we were going for, which was charred and crisp on the outside. But then when you cut into them, keeping them whole would let them steam on the insides. And so the, in, they would just be custardy and creamy, not soggy. See, they were this, this
0: I think was a game changer because I think so many of us are so used to cutting them in half, pan side down, roasting them in really high heat. So they get flat and crispy on one side, but you're doing crispy on the outside as a whole orb yes creamy in the middle
7: yes and i think it makes sense i think the instinct to cut them in half and then roast them that way makes a lot of sense because you want to expose a ton of surface area to the heat so that you can get that crisp and char but it just ended up being detrimental for the texture of the sprout as a whole
0: okay so <laughs> so you do them whole roasted then what
7: so i guess i should note. The color on my television at home might have just been way off. But mm-hmm. when I was watching these on the show, they look burnt as all hell. <laughs> like they look so bad. It, it honestly looks like a satirical video of us being like, "Ooh, they look so good. And they're just black. Um, they look beautiful in the magazine. They look beautiful in the magazine. They don't look like that on the show. I would just like to say if they look like you almost want them to look burnt. That's how you know you're doing it right.
0: Okay, so you you roast them uh, at 4.50, uh, you reduce it to 3.50, yada, 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 35 minutes. Then you're gonna glaze them after they're roasted?
7: Yes, so this goes back to the idea of wanting to be able to do these ahead. You can fully roast the sprouts, how long do we say?
0: I think 35 to 45 minutes.
7: Oh yeah, but um, I was saying you can fully roast the sprouts hours ahead of dinner. So if you wanted to pop those in the oven in the morning and then set them aside, until you're ready to glaze them, go for it. And the nice thing about the glaze is that all you're doing is melting some butter in a skillet until it begins to brown. You're toasting some pistachios in that butter. Mm. Another nod to the Nuts podcast. Champorino. Nothing's nothing's better than a nut toasted in fat. And um, then you you set the pistachios aside, and then you add date molasses, which is essentially like a really thick mixture of, of cooked down dates that... They're just stewed until they become really really syrupy
0: let's say i can't find date molasses is there a sub that i could use
7: yes honey is also okay. an excellent sub okay cool just plain old runny honey
0: <laughs> runny honey <laughs> <laughs> okay so we got the the butter the molasses heating up in the pan you They're got heating, the meat yeah, you, nuts like in the
7: pan Ooh, everything's it. emulsifying it's becoming this beautiful glossy brown glaze and then all you really need to do, your glaze is hot, you just rewarm the sprouts, toss them in the glaze until they're totally coated, and then you plate them and you conserve them.
0: And then you put the nuts back on top, or you kind of toss the nuts in with them?
7: We chose to do something a little extra with the nuts. Mm. After they were toasted, we chopped them and then mixed them in a small bowl with a little bit of fresh lime zest, oh, yes. red pepper flakes, and salt. And then you kind of just quickly massage that together with your Ooh. hands and then sprinkle it over. And I think, It's a small step that has huge payoff because you're adding these small pops of unexpected flavor into this topping. And, you know, because it's kind of on top, it's scattered, so you get a little bit in every bite.
0: Does lime juice come into play at all or just the lime zest?
7: Lime juice goes into the date molasses and brown butter Okay, yeah, there you go. Oh, can I say one more thing? Yeah, sure. You could also make the glaze ahead.
0: Oh, and then just warm it up when needed.
7: Yes. It'll look a little weird. It'll look like it's about to separate, and just bringing it back, like warming it back up on the stove and giving it a swirl should do the trick in terms of reemulsifying it. But awesome. both components can be made ahead, which is nice.
0: You know what? I hardly miss Claire Safetz. Who needs her? You got Christina Che here.
7: I miss her.
0: I know. I had lunch with Claire today. You did? Yeah. She's awesome. She was wearing a red-on-red, red, like, matching... What would you call it a sweatsuit, I guess like red, like fire engine red sweatpants and a fire engine red sweatshirt.
7: Like a chore suit.
0: As her, I think she said her like her, an Emil Stone. Her vibe? her acupuncturist said she looked like she was ready for Christmas morning.
7: <laughs> <laughs> Every day with Claire is kind of like Christmas morning. Christina Che, thanks so much. Thank you.
0: Cornbread stuffing, cornbread
8: with sausage and corn nuts,
0: <laughs> but not regular bread. You went. Cornbread. Cornbread.
8: I know. I I mean, that was our starting point, right? It was like you're either going cornbread or you're not going cornbread. Well,
3: we started with both. We did did a test to see. And, you know, I'm from the South. We do cornbread, like a a really deep, flavorful, almost 75% cornmeal, cornbread stuffing with jalapenos. And to be clear, Rick, when you say you're from the South, you mean Texas.
8: Texas. Yeah, yeah. Which Uh, is its own country. Exactly. (laughs) Rick showed up in the test kitchen with his dad. Secret weapon to present the cornbread stuffing that he grew up with. Right, right. Which was remarkable. Yeah, and very different.
3: Also dressing. Dressing, sorry. Not cubed. It's actually almost more like a a corn pudding. Uh, And then Chris made his uh, sourdough... Yeah, I did.
8: Bread I, yeah, I did the like the simplest best dressing from uh, Victoria Granoff. That is kind of my archetype for big, coarsely torn, you know, shardy pieces of crispy bread, just loosely bound with egg and a little bit of stock, a lot of herbs, a lot of flavor, a lot of butter, but simple.
0: So you grew up in New England, Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the kind of stuffing you grew up eating?
8: No, not at all. The stuffing that I grew up with was actually um, the Pepperidge Farm cubes oh, yes. in the bag, which yeah. I have enormous fondness for. That's,
0: I wrote about that for Bon Appetit years ago. My editor's letter, um, my mom's stuffing, Maxine's stuffing. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's Jimmy Dean sausage, Pepperidge Farm yeah, uh, cube. Um, bread crummy things and then she would always take like the gizzards and stuff the, oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, turkey yeah. and grind them all together on a hand crank meat grinder. <laughs> wow. And that would sort of lend it a little bit of funk, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you kind of noticed what you didn't notice. Yeah, yeah. I would say this about the, the sourdough one time a few years ago. My brother makes really good sourdough yeah, bread. Yeah he does. And, and it has a starter, all that sort of stuff and beautiful. I have found it when we use really good sourdough the sourdough almost overpowered the rest of the stuffing. Like the bread was so distinctive flavor, mm-hmm. it was a little much.
8: Yeah. And the thing too is, you know, the question when you talk about cornbread, the the spectrum of what you're talking about is actually relatively narrow from the standpoint of, okay, maybe it's a little cakier, Maybe it's a little more corn forward. Maybe it's a little bit sweeter. When you talk about just bread, like the bread that you're going to use in a stuffing and we the whole pur- purpose here was drilling down on what is the perfect stuffing? You know, the, the world of, you know, a bread based stuffing, it's just, it's so broad. Did we want to call for sourdough? How sour? is your sourdough if we're gonna call for it and if we're not then like what what kind of breads does everybody have access to you have to call for something like relatively specific so what was that
0: moment during the filming of making perfect where you guys decided we're gonna do cornbread and here is why well
3: well, Well, we we were at the board and I love that that bold flavor and, and I,
8: we found that with the corn, I mean, you can you can add so much other flavors to it. You know, you can make it spicy. You right? can push
3: you can push the, the limits. I think with uh, with wheat based bread, um, there's a point where it just it, all of your other flavorings take over the bread. Exactly. And you, and you lose it. But the corn can stand up to it. And we, we had a moment where we made four different types of stuffing yeah. with, like, different treatments of the cornbread and also uh, combinations of of cornbread and, and wheat bread. Wow. Yeah. So walk walk us through this recipe, starting with the cornbread itself. And you make the case for making your own
0: cornbread perhaps a day or so before. Yeah. yeah. Does this cornbread lean sweet? Does it lean cakey? Does it lean
8: sort of... A- crunchy like what how do we describe this cornbread way more corn forward so and savory yeah and savory so rick has one that he kind of grew up with that we used in our development but we found that um molly's buttermilk cornbread from a couple years ago is a great sub because it is 50 50 wheat flour and cornmeal and that's on bottomseed.com it is buttermilk cornbread okay exactly it's a great starting point so
0: you've got your cornbread do you want it to get a little stale or can you use it you know sometimes you hear that with
3: with stuffing Toasted. Yeah, oh, so you yeah. toast it. So you cube it and then toast it. Exactly. Cube it and toast it. Yeah. We we
8: like being deliberate about how dry it gets. You so know, what do you do? How so much you, color you cut it gets. into
0: cubes, throw it on a sheet tray, mm-hmm. exactly, and just let it go for yep. how long? Like what temp? It says. I should go to the recipe. I'm looking yeah. at the photo. <laughs> the recipe's on a separate page, all right? So you toast it to get it nice and crunchy. 325.
8: 325 for 40 to 50 minutes. Right, and yeah. then and then what's the next step? So then the next step is basically then you're just preparing all of your aromatics. So you're cooking out your breakfast sausage and taking that out. Your butter is getting melted. We went with a full two sticks. Yes. Rick really pushed the envelope in all categories here. I think it's the most butter we've ever put in a stuffing. Or dressing, sorry, Rick.
0: Ever. I mean, the argument for a lot of butter is besides just butter, but why? Why in this case?
3: Well, again, the, the cornbread takes it. You know, it, it can absorb a lot more liquid, a lot more fat, um, and because you have that corn flavor, it really wants a lot of unctuousness. It wants a lot of that that brown butter. Balance. And as you're, you know, it it was actually sort of arresting for me too to see two sticks of butter melted with all of these veg and the the sausage, but. As it starts to brown, you get that really, really nice, nutty, caramelly flavor. Oh, Um, so you bring it to a brown point where you can really smell it, kind of? You don't have to – you're not necessarily browning it per se, Mm -hmm. but um, as it cooks with everything, it starts to brown with all the other –
8: If I hadn't been there, Rick, you probably would have gone with three sticks, let's face it. I mean, probably, yeah. (laughs) So you got
3: onions, you got
0: celery, of course, some garlic, which is nice. Okay, before we get to your secret ingredient, uh, you call for three and a half cups of turkey stock or low sodium chicken broth. I have always found when making stuffing, always err on the side of putting more stock than you think yes because as it bakes off it's going to evaporate and you'd rather have a moist stuffing than a dry stuffing yeah 100
8: completely it'll just soak it up i mean you really you have to be a little bit patient you know when you're kind of have your your stock and your egg mixture just let it let it you know keep tossing just let it absorb it all
0: and it's also i think a good argument for making homemade stock whether it's turkey stock or other poultry stock just having that Dark amber gelatinous stock in the mm. fridge, um, and that really imparts a beautiful flavor to the stuffing. Completely. Um, all right, so breakfast sausage, love that. Let me ask you this: if if you're not gonna, if you don't want to put sausage in, is there? Do you need to do anything to sort of amp up the flavor in another way?
8: Not really. No. I mean, there's there. This is like flavor town there's a lot USA. Of in there, yeah. yeah. There's there's a lot going on. And there's so. also
0: so many other things on the plate, right? Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So all right, you got the the breakfast <laughs> sausage. You got some stock. You got a little heat, but then there's
8: one other element. So this was the thing. This is we wanted to. We wanted to go beyond corn. We wanted right. to make it cor- like corn forward in, right. in a way. Corn cor- tastic. Corn tastic. In a way that, like, even if you were buying a store bought cornbread that most of which you know lean a little bit sweet and a little cakier, this would put it over the top. Yeah, and it's it's kind of amazing, actually. The Corn nuts
3: wait, are... Wait, that's a secret. That's that's a, that, is re, a that was the reveal. That, oh, that Come on, wait, reveal. I thought you were going to build up to it. I was <laughs> handing on, it off reveal. to you, man. Come on, really? <laughs> oh. All right, so let's see, go back. Secret ingredient. <laughs> corn nuts. Corn nuts. <laughs>
0: Literally, store-bought corn nuts.
3: Store-bought corn nuts. Yeah, like, the kind you get at the gas station. Yeah. They are amazing. It's the same corn that is used in hominy. It's the same corn that's used in corn tortillas. It just has a really, really intense nutty flavor. And we found that when we added it and we, you know, we pulverized it, we added it to the aromatics with the brown butter, oh, it got so, so, a little bit so you, toasty. You,
0: you blitz like in a food processor yeah. and then you toss it in with the butter and the onion and right. the celery and everything. Because yep. um. we didn't
3: want to give crunch and we didn't want someone to go, oh my God, there's corn nuts in here. Yeah. We just wanted a really, really super forward corn flavor. You wanted that something, something. Right, mm-hmm. and so, you know, and our, our thought was if you can't make a really corn forward corn bread and if you're gonna buy, you know, corn, uh, cornbread in New England where it's probably more of a cake, a yellow cake. Than Sorry, it is. Rick. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you can go to the gas station and get corn nuts and, and get that corn flavor. I assume you probably should not get the
8: ranch flavored corn nuts or
3: maybe, well, I don't know. I mean, if, you know, right. if you're into that, <laughs> it would
8: totally be all right. Um, so yeah, if you don't put them in, it's still fine, but it really adds a lot. It's right. extra. That
0: definitely yeah. piqued my curiosity. i Yeah. like, Oh, why not? You know. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. So you got me very excited for this, uh, the corn nuts. The cornbread, the breakfast sausage, the two sticks of butter. Yes. yes. What is not to like? You can find this recipe, cornbread stuffing with sausage and corn nuts, in the November issue of Bon Appetit, or you can go online to bonappetit.com. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Brad Leone, welcome to the pod.
2: Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure.
0: Uh, I'm starting a timer. Right now, you have 10 minutes to discuss yours and Claire's pecan rye pumpkin pie
2: go okay um yeah i think it's a i was very happy with it It it's a fantastic combination the way we kind of developed it it was like i grew up and love pumpkin pie on thanksgiving there was always pumpkin pie in fact i got in trouble when i was young for eating so much of it you know it was just like i love pumpkin pie. what do you mean you got in trouble i would eat too much of it you know (laughs) like it would there would be like a three quarters of a pie left and i would uh, It'd be in the middle, like all night. I just keep walking oh, the over, leftovers. and yeah, I would yeah. just be uh, cutting little slivers. And I'd then
0: lo- next thing you know, your mom wakes up in the morning. There's no more pie left.
2: I, would <laughs> oh, no, I never did that. I was always leave one little. Slip. <laughs> oh, that's even worse. That's you the know? most obnoxious thing. No, it's called consideration.
0: Um, <laughs> okay, so you're pumpkin pie guy, Claire. Yeah.
2: No, she is too. But like what we were getting, what I was getting at, and where we kind of talked about was when we were at the round table with everyone, like where you grew up really, like how I was nostalgic for pumpkin pie, some people were like, it's not Thanksgiving without pecan pie. You know, so I never really had a pecan pie that I loved all that much. Sometimes they're just way too sweet. I was like, why don't we just make a little hybrid? Why do we need to just have, like, let's- Or a pie bread. (laughs) 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 That's why you're the boss. So we made a pie bread, and a pie bread. That don't sound right. No, pie bread. A pie bread. P- pie bread. <laughs> pie bread. <laughs> and I was like, well, why don't we like dot – the top can be like a nice candied kind of pecan riddled Ooh. in, pushed into the to the normal custardy um, pumpkin filling. And it was kind of a home run. You okay. Know?
0: So I love the sound of this because I do love pecan pie, but I find it sometimes that wobbly gelatinous stuff in the middle is just too much of that. Yeah. So all right, we're going to go from – top down with this pie so yeah. let's talk about that candied pecan sort of stuff how did you guys make that
2: so it was just like you know you, you added we added a little sugar i believe we added some maple syrup um and it was just a little tossy kind of coat glaze thing and then we uh you know you, we toasted them first and then did that and then you just i think we baked them a little i don't right you made this recipe why are you asking me what you did well because it was a <laughs> while ago and when we were shooting it was such a rush we had the way that it was such a crazy day we were shooting and making the pie developing it meanwhile that evening we had to go to denver to 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 put it into a pie eating competition which we did not place in um <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay you know um there was a lot of really good pies there
0: so so all right so you got the the you toasted the nuts first yep. and then tossed them
2: yeah, we so we toasted them, tossed them in this little. I think it was like egg whites with some maple syrup, uh, just like a little glazey coating. Yeah, yeah. Right,
0: so you kind of glaze them. Yeah,
2: a little little candied them, and then we baked them a little just to make them nice, and they would set up. And then when they cooled, they were like you know, candied and like crackly, and they were nice. And were, butter, you forgot butter and brown sugar also. Butter brown. and brown sugar, yeah, yeah. And, Do um, we need to start this podcast over? No, no. <laughs> I could know, pull up. We're cutting into my time here.
0: Okay. so you, All right. So I'm going to read right here. The heavenly toasted pecan topping is candied with brown sugar, butter, maple, syrup, and salt. Always got to have a little bit of salt in there. Mm-hmm. So you get that those nicely beautiful toasted nutty exactly. pecans in this nice candy topping. You've got that set aside, ready to go. Yep. L- talk to me. I'm always somewhat underwhelmed by a traditional pumpkin pie. How mm-hmm. did you guys judge up the, the custard, the filling for this one?
2: Well, I mean, we kind of we, not much not much you know I mean we we flirted with the idea of getting pumpkins or a squash or something and roasting never works. it it's just never as good I don't want to say never it's just for the amount of work that goes into doing it man Libby's Libby's in a can just is not it's not bad I mm. mean they make it's a good product they the, did the hard work the
0: nice thing about Libby's is how consistent it is oh, and yeah. it's not watery it's, a lot of times if you're using a fresh squash or pumpkin yeah you get it's watery it's stringy this is like smooth and
2: pureed. Or made of sweet potato. A lot of the canned yeah. ones are cut with – it's yeah. not just straight pumpkin. Libby's and as, is.
0: And as my mom said, you never want like pumpkin pie filling. You don't want like the seasoned with the allspice and stuff. Just right. pure pumpkin. Just to remind you, Brad, reading from the magazine, Claire and Brad began with classic Libby's pumpkin pie recipe straight off the label. From there, right. they upped the eggs okay. for a Richard Custard diy their own pumpkin spice mix and swapped in heavy cream for the evaporated milk.
2: And that was just give it a bitter texture. And the yolk, same with the yolk and the cream, it was just like, why not? You know, it just kind of made sense to make a smoother, more, you know, that like, not set like a gel, but like a set custardy kind of thing. The last thing you want in a pumpkin pie is when you slice it and it droops down. Ugh, it needs yeah. to hold a slice. Yeah. Otherwise, is, uh,
0: is it fair to say that the addition of the heavy cream and
2: the extra eggs, was that all Claire's idea? Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't really make pies that often, no. you know. I think, she, yeah, it was probably, I mean, we were, she was kind of taking charge a little bit for sure. She'll do know? that. Yeah, and like, you know, a couple of my ideas stuck and some of them she threw out, you know, but that's that's what happens sometimes when you cook with folks.
0: Is it fair to say there's pie people and not pie people? Yeah, for sure.
2: I mean, I am a pie person. I just you just said you don't make pies. No, I don't make them, but I'm a pie person. Like, I'll take a slice of pie over a slice of cake, anything. You're day. trying to have it both ways. You're trying to have
0: it both ways with the pecan yep. and the pumpkin. Yep. You're trying to say you're a pie person, but you don't make pecan. Po- oh, gosh. Yeah, difficult to tell. Did, you know what you also forgot, Brad? <laughs> maybe, did you, maybe you're just like an actor in this in the episode of Making Perfect. I you actually, did, Yeah. You threw a little whiskey. Oh, I was going to say that.
6: Well, you
2: were reading it, and I, would, I was going to say, I thought we put a little bit of bourbon in there. Or, uh, yeah, th- rye. Oh, rye, whiskey. Rye. Yeah, okay. rye whiskey. Yeah, uh, rye whiskey. But I'm sure bourbon would be fine. Yeah. And uh, it did. It added a nice little, you know, it, it kind of cooks out the burn a little and just adds a nice little flavor and a little hint of that kind of barrelly sweetness, you know? So we got this rich pumpkin custard,
0: candied toasted pecans mm-hmm. on top, like sort of just spread out. Also, Claire, you wanted them all neat, and then Claire was like, "No, let's mess them up a little."
2: Yeah, we don't always see eye to eye. Yeah, you—you you
0: looked like from some caterer from the '80s. It was—it was not good. Mine was definitely better looking. No, opinion. it was not. This is much more modern, and it's more the rusted. scattered one, yeah, scattered
2: as opposed to what, like making a nice little. Yeah,
0: it was too. It was like a cover of Bon Appetit from like 1986. A Little dated. Yeah, all right, very dated. Well, it takes a team. What intrigues me finally is the
2: crust, the base, the foundation of all pies.
0: Yeah. So. Talk to me, because it's – yeah, what's going on with the crust?
2: Well, we had – we used butter instead of shortening or, or lard, for that matter. Just a nice cultured butter. It adds just – it's a little bit harder to work with than, say, using a lard or, um, or a, um, you know, like a shortening. Okay. But uh, you just can't beat that flavor that comes through with it. Um, and, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think it's that, that much – harder to work with no. uh, and it, the payoff for the flavor in my opinion is just anytime someone uses like um, like a shortening it, 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 I can kind of just taste it you can there. yeah that's
0: true it adds something texture wise but it is th- th- also but in terms of flavor brad not only do you use all butter um, if I have to remind you, you also use mm-hmm. a mixture of rye flour and white flour.
2: Yeah, we cut it a little, give it a little bit, a little bit more of a nuttiness, a little bit more character to that dough, other than just straight AP. Yeah. And then you have the rye and the rye thing. Yeah, rye it just flour, works, rye right? whiskey. It's fun. It's
0: festive. Um. And so, all right, a couple other things about the pie crust before we, because we're, I think we're at like you got a minute and fifty-four. Uh, extra dark. Your crust isn't burning. The rye flour will make the crust look darker right. than your standard pie dough. So when you're par baking the crust or pre-baking, whatever we call that, blind baking. If you're really worried it's burning, tent it with a ring of foil. And we blind bake. fell
2: into a <laughs> burning in the foil. We, Are we, uh, we, we, we
0: going to have to pay for that now, Emma? Big time. We're going to have to shoot it yeah. over.
2: And it's all about the, and this is Claire, really, you know, but like it totally makes sense too. Um, I feel like
0: I should have just had Claire on this podcast.
2: Well, for the pie, or maybe both of us. I mean, it's, I won't take that offensively. She's it's, busy. it's all about the blind baking to a full. You know, we, yeah. we want to make that that pie, that, that crust to be completely cooked through and nice. And, and
0: that's where you also get the flavor. You can smell it. Like you can a, smell a, it. a raw pie crust is like whatever. But when you start, it gets all, again, it gets kind of nutty and that toasted Toasty. flavor.
2: And well, when you're pouring a custard in, you don't want. You, the last thing you want is a soggy bottom.
0: You know, but can I remind you how you avoid that soggy bottom? Yeah, uh, there's so much moisture in the pumpkin custard that right. it can soften the crust if there aren't protective measures in place. But we've got you. The egg wash yep. added during the blind bake serves as a moisture fighting barrier, right. a, a seal tight guarantee that the bottom crust won't get that's mushy. right. That's tr- there's like a sealant, like an all weather sealant.
2: Right? Exactly. So we just put a nice little egg, you know, egg coating on there. Egg, cooks on it makes a nice kind of like you said a ceiling, a nice protective barrier the first line of the fence and um it kind of pre- you know it prevents it so you get a nice consistency of the crust throughout but then also you have that nice custard on top without getting into that soggy mushy no fun zone
0: do you think your parents are gonna like this at the uh, family thanksgiving yeah in Jersey? I, mean, I,
2: I don't know if they'll go ahead and put pecans on it but there'll be a pumpkin pie there for sure
0: well if you make the pie they it'll
2: what was that? Time's up.
0: Brad Leone, thanks so much. Oh, I feel like
2: we were just getting... I need 10 minutes just to warm up. We're done.
5: <laughs> the Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced and edited by Emma Wartzman, with additional programming help from Carrie Polis and Elise Inamini. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to reach out to us about this episode or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.